This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode begins. We just want to let everyone know that as a thank you for reaching 24K total downloads and just everybody that's been listening to the King's Pulse podcast, we are doing a giveaway of a Buddy Heel jersey. Stay tuned for the very end of the episode where we give away a couple details about how you can be eligible to win the Buddy jersey, but it's really just a big thank you to everybody that listens and participates, interacts with us in any sort of way with the King's Pulse podcast, so thank you to everybody for listening. We would love to give back, and we're doing that right now with a Buddy Heel jersey giveaway. Stay tuned for the very end of the episode for a couple details, and follow us at Kings underscore Pulse on Twitter. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top of the King's record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like King's basketball. Oh. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as usual. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well today, and yeah, I'm really excited about these season previews. We got our second team up right now. It's the Boston Celtics, and here to join us uh, and and help us uh, break down the offseason and the season to come for the Celtics is Yahoo Sports and Celtics blog contributor Keith Smith. How you doing, Keith? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on and taking time out of your day. Um big fan of a lot of the work you do covering the Celtics you do a lot of general NBA stuff as well but starting with last season um, obviously it was a really complicated year for the Celtics high expectations a lot of talent on the roster and it went downhill pretty fast there was a lot of stuff coming out with locker room issues and things like that but maybe just starting with uh, recapping last season and then going into the offseason what did it feel like Boston was looking for yeah, last season, certainly a disappointment. They came in with very high expectations. I think it got a little out of control with some of the predictions that were out there. Uh, not, not to throw Bill Simmons under the bus, but 67 <laughs> wins is, is kind of crazy. That's getting up there at that all-time historic level stuff. But it, for, for Boston, they, they, they just fell short. It was a team that never came together quite the way they had hoped. They had a lot of mouths to feed and didn't end up really, you know, ever finding that balance. They'd have flashes where there were points where they looked like the best team in the NBA. They went on the road, drubbed the Warriors in Oakland, you know, absolutely hammered them there. And that looked like it was 
you know, maybe the start of something, but it was fits and starts all year and then swept the first round playoff series, went in, really dropped the bucks pretty easily in game one. And then, and then the wheels came off and it all fell apart. And that, that was the end of it, you know, from, from there, just a season that was disappointing as the year went along, it became more and more clear that it was no lock that Kyrie Irving was going to resign. And then by the time the season ended, it was really clear that he was probably out the door. Now they'd hope to keep Al Horford. That didn't happen, and now here we are as they're kind of trying to rebuild on the fly and stay, you know, a competitive, contending team. Uh, you know, probably on the fringes of that, but but we'll see where that all goes going forward. Yeah, and it, it was understandable for the hopes to be high, considering that Kyrie wasn't in the play, wasn't playing in the playoffs uh, the previous year, and Gordon Hayward coming back from his injury. It did feel it had a kind of a super team vibe where you take this this team that did really well in the playoffs, a very young team, and you add two superstars to it, but a lot of the issues that that felt like arose were chemistry-related. Do you think that, especially regarding Kyrie, how much of an issue was that this, this past season? A huge issue. They they were never really on the same page. If you think about it, let's go back, you know, two years ago now to the seventeen eighteen season. And what you had that year was a team that there were high hopes going into the season, but no one fully knew what to expect. I think they thought they'd be a pretty good team. And then five minutes into the year, they lose Gordon Hayward, and he's out for the entire season. Then they rip off the, I believe it was a 16-game win streak, which kind of came out of nowhere, and everyone was shocked by. And all of a sudden, here's Jason Tatum. Looks like you know having one of the better rookie seasons we've seen in quite some time. Jalen Brown looks like he's coming into his own, and they're really hitting a stride. And then with a about 20 or so games left in the year, they lose Kyrie Irving for the season. And it, everybody's kind of like, well, that's probably it. It was a cute run, but here we go. And that that team seemed like the more guys they lost, the better they got because then Terry Rozier stepped up. They made a run. They were really a quarter, one bad quarter away from making the NBA Finals, which was you know completely stunning. So the assumption is add Kyrie and Gordon Hayward to that and very, very minor changes around that. And here we go. This team's going to be one of the best in the league, but unfortunately basketball doesn't work that way. You can only play with one ball. You can only play five guys at once. And there were a lot of mouths to feed. You had the kids who earned their touches and their shots and their roles the year before. And now all of a sudden they're being asked to step back. And then you had the veterans like Kyrie and Gordon Hayward who were coming back from injuries and felt like, Hey, we've earned this by our status in the league. And, and no one's really wrong there. It's just not a situation you can, can come to. And then you know, we, there, there was a famous Orlando trip where Marcus Moore shoved Jalen Brown. They lost to the magic and Kyrie Irving basically called out all the younger players on the team. And it never got better from there. There was that whole, oh, this West Coast plane trip that solved everything and everybody's happy now. And then that quickly you know, went by the wayside. And it, it, it was just a group that they, they were just never happy. You could see it almost from day one that when they were playing, they, they were just a bunch of guys out there and never really a team. Like Rich said before we came on, I'm, I'm a Celtics fan myself, and it just didn't feel like Celtics basketball. It wasn't that hard playing, moving the ball. There was a lot of isolation. I mean, they were getting some wins, but it didn't quite feel like how you normally expect the Celtics to be. That same identity wasn't really there. 
Um, and you mentioned Kyrie Irving, Al Horford. Obviously, Horford was the anchor. Irving felt like the leader of the team, even if he wasn't necessarily um, doing a great job at that, not to put it all on Irving in any sort of way, but Horford walked for nothing. Um, but before we get into that, Irving specifically is now replaced with Kemba Walker. And they are similar players here where the percentages are worse on Kemba, but there were more attempts. We know he was carrying a heavier load in Charlotte, and he's more known for being a leader and a little bit more enjoyable to play with, it seems like. Do you feel like going Kyrie to Kemba is possibly even an improvement for this Boston team? Yeah, I think it is, and here's the reason why. This is a little bit of a, uh, you know, you got to dive into it a little bit more here. In a vacuum, Kyrie Irving is a better player than Kemba Walker. If we were playing a one-on-one tournament, I'd take Kyrie probably every single day, you know, the week there just because that's who Kyrie is. He's a really, really good player. But when you look at Boston, where you have the situation now is clear. They need Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to feel comfortable to get enough touches that they're going to run a large percentage of the offense through those two guys. They're going to run things to make sure those guys are getting shots. Gordon Hayward needs to have the ball in his hands to be his most effective as well. So they're going to make sure that that happens. When you have a guy like Kyrie Irving, who as great as he is, he's ball dominant. And it's not necessarily in a selfish way because I don't think Kyrie's a selfish player. That's just the way his game is. His game revolves around him having the ball and either making plays for himself or for his teammates. Kemba Walker can do that, but Kemba has also gotten very good over the past really probably three-ish years at playing off the ball. It's something that Charlotte started to integrate more and more. They started playing him in two-point guard lineups when they were really looking for more offense, and it's something that has become a really big weapon for him. He's a good spot-up shooter. He's pretty good coming off screens. Those are not strengths for Kyrie. Kyrie is at his best when he's creating the plays for himself. So I think that fit is going to make the offense a little more dynamic, better fit for everybody. It's not going to lend itself to as much of the iso ball because what happens there is Jason Tatum goes, you know, five, six, seven trips in a row without a quality touch. Then he gets it and it's, all right, I'm going to take 10 dribbles and get a shot up here if I have to because I haven't gotten a shot up in a while. And that's something we always see happen. And then finally with Kemba, I think the other thing that matters is the chemistry. He wants to be in Boston. He, you know, wants to be a Celtic. He wants to play with these young players. Whereas for Kyrie, that wasn't really, I think, anything he necessarily signed up for. And that wasn't, you know, what he wanted to do going forward, especially not with the young guys having as prominent as a role they have. So that's going to matter quite a bit as well. I agree with all that, really. Uh, I think that in a vacuum, you do have to see Kyrie as the more gifted player than Kemba. But again, the, the, fit, st- the fit stuff, just it matters a lot. Uh, and I absolutely could see a world where Kemba has a greater effect on the team as a whole. However, the other departing member, the major departing member of the Celtics, Al Horford, uh, we can talk about the the step off from Al Horford to Ennis Cantor and see uh, how how significant of a of an issue that's going to be going forward. What's your thoughts on on Horford leaving? Yeah, that that one's definitely that's a different kind of change. Now I view it as it's Horford um, against Cantor and Vincent Poirier, who is the uh, big man that they signed. He's French, but he's been playing over in Spain. 
And the reason why I say that is they invested heavily in Napoleon. They gave him about $5 million over the next two years, which says to me that they intend for him to be a big part of the team. And then Cantor obviously came over via the room exception. It's a one plus one deal. He's got a player option on that second year, but he's somebody Danny Ainge has had his eyes on for quite some time. There was rumors that when he was bought out by the Knicks that he was going to join the Celtics, but he chose to go to Portland after Yusuf Nurkic got hurt and had a much bigger role there. It might have been just before Nurkic, but he was going to have a bigger role in Portland regardless. I think what Boston is hoping to do here is cobble together a decent Horford impression out of the two guys, Cantor being the more offensively focused player and Poirier being the defensive, you know, minded guy. He he was someone who was one of the best defensive big men over in Europe over the last couple of seasons. Their big plus is both of these guys are terrific rebounders, which is not something Boston has had for several years. They've been really a pretty poor rebounding team over the years. And they project to still be kind of a questionable one. Go uh, this year without Cantor or without Poirier. So I think those two guys are going to really help them a lot on the glass. And, you know, for all that we, you know, beat up on Cantor and people like to laugh at, you know, him in pick and roll and he does struggle there. I think Boston's going to really simplify their defense. They're going to ask him to do a lot of what Portland did, which is drop coverages, just drop all the way back, be big at the rim and be in the position to get, get the rebounds. Now you miss Horford because of his versatility. You know, he defended anybody from Ben Simmons to Giannis Antetokounmpo. He could hold his own on switches out on the perimeter. So I think you'll see them change their defensive style beyond just the the canter dropping. I think Boston will be a far less uh, switch everything team, or they may switch everything one through four, but leave Cantor, you know, kind of out of those things as much as they can. And we'll we'll see where that goes. But he's the kind of guy Brad Stevens has had a lot of success with. He he did quite well with Amir Johnson and Tyler Zeller as his you know center combo for a couple of years there. And I think he if you can make it work with those two guys, no disrespect meant to them, you can certainly make it work with Cantor and Poirier. And looking at that center depth a little bit more, um, there's also Daniel Tice that they managed to bring back after it seemed pretty pretty confident that he was going to be headed to Germany, but brought him back. And there was there's Robert Williams as well, who's a fan favorite and has upside there, but to me still didn't look very, very sharp in Summer League. Uh, he's able to make up for things because of his ridiculous athleticism but the defensive positioning I wasn't very uh very happy with and what I saw out of him how do you feel like do you feel like he's going to have a chance at cracking that center rotation in Boston I think he'll have a chance but I don't expect it and from talking with the team I think they very much expect him to be this to be another kind of year of learning and growth when he was drafted, the Celtics made it very clear that they viewed him as a two to three year project that he was not going to be you know, ready because he was re- he's really just an athlete at this point. Now, that's better than not being an athlete, but he doesn't really know how to play. He, he's not always in the right position offensively and defensively. He makes it look good a lot of times because he is such a good athlete. He can get around things. He can get over things and, and things like that. So I think it's, uh, you know, really, um, you know, important for him to be able to do uh, those types of things because he's still learning how to play and he, he's still very young too. That's the other thing that I think kind of gets forgotten a little bit here. So I think what you'll see with, with Williams is he'll get given opportunities at times, but I don't think there's going to be any pressure. I think they feel 
plenty good about their big man depth with Cantor, Poirier, Tice, and then you've got Semi Ojale who can do some small ball stuff. Grant Williams is somebody they're really, really high on in, you know, in a lot of ways, although he's, he's the rookie this year. He's a little more ready to play than even Robert Williams is. But I think, you know, the, the potential remains very high for Williams, which is what we'll see the Celtics continue to work on with him going forward because they're just not going to, they're, they're, they're not going to throw him to the wolves because that's not the type of team they are right now. Now, if for any reason they start to turn this towards much more of a rebuilding type season, then I think you start seeing them de-emphasize the playing time for the older, more established guys in up it for some of these younger options. But certainly to start the year, that's not going to be the case. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Moving a little bit uh, toward the wings now, uh, Jason Tatum is a guy who obviously the, the ceiling's incredibly high. His potential is incredibly high. I wonder, though, it felt to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but it felt to me like he didn't really meet expectations this past season. His rookie year was so electric, uh, his shooting just off the charts. It felt to me that his efficiency dropped a little bit. And again, this is probably rooted back in that team chemistry issue. Who's got the ball when? Who's taking the shots? Uh, how that is distributed. But what are you expecting from Jason in going forward into next season? Yeah, his rookie season, his efficiency numbers, his shooting percentages, and the like were just so over the top good that it was going to be hard to match that. He shot 47% from the field and over 43% from three as a rookie, which is, you know, kind of crazy because he, he was, while a good shooter, he was never quite that good when he was in, uh, in college and coming up through the high school circuit. And then last year, you know, if you look at it on its face, 45% from the floor, 37% from three. 85% from the foul line, 15.7 points per game. His assists were up, his rebounds were up, and his playing time was barely up, not even a full minute. And all of his numbers went up, except for the percentages. And that's, you know, I think he set such a high baseline that normally 45% from a wing player, second year, you'd be pretty happy with that. But because of the baseline he had set for himself, you, we, we, no, not you, but all of us were expecting more. And that that's just the... A little bit of the challenge, you know, so now we're going to see where, where he comes from. It's, it's going to be really important. But I think Jason Tatum was more than any other player on the roster affected by the reintegration of Irving and Hayward. Jalen Brown ended up going to the bench fairly early on. And when Brown went to the bench, he kind of made a change in style from the sense of, I'm just going to be in attack mode from the minute I hit the floor. I, I'm coming out of this game, shot out of a cannon and playing, you know, 100 miles per hour, and whatever happens, happens. Tatum didn't have that luxury. He, he, you know, had to kind of play a more conservative control game. And again, as, as I referenced before, he went multiple times, you know, six, seven, eight possessions in a row without a good touch. And when that's happening, you're going to be a little more 
I'm going to get a shot up next time I get it, and I'm going to make sure I get mine and those kind of things. And that that makes it really hard, you know, when, when you're a young guy. And then, you know, unfortunately, I think he drew a lot of the ire from Kyrie of, you know, uh, you know, this guy doesn't get it and these these kind of things. And that's, again, you know, tw- 20 years old, That that's really hard to swallow. So I think, you know, now with Tatum, we're going to see, you know, what he can do in this next season. And I think there's more than probably any player on the roster, despite the fact that they just signed Kemba Walker, they still have Gordon Hayward on the big contract. Tatum is the future of the Celtics, and they're going to make sure that that's prioritized, you know, this season and beyond. Yeah, I think that's 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 fairly clear. I mean, the the, the skills that Tatum showed in that rookie year going through that playoff run, and he showed last year, even though it was a down year, the question mark is the guy that you mentioned in Jalen Brown of playing a really different role last year. And maybe they continue to start Marcus, but I feel it's likely that Jalen may be reintegrated into that starting lineup. Um, he had a very down year compared to a really good second year for him as well. I mean, almost 40% from deep in year two after coming out and really shooting being one of his issues coming out of Cal, dropping back down to 34 last year. And like you mentioned, he just felt it seemed like he felt a need to be more aggressive because when he had his opportunities, he had to take advantage of them. He's in this same situation that we have in Sacramento, Buddy Heald, of there's an extension possibility right now, or you wait it out and he goes in a restricted free agency. Uh, for the Kings, I feel like we're confident in Buddy Heald, good with giving him a large sum of money. Jalen Brown's a little bit more of a question mark, right? I mean, would you feel comfortable, you know, offering a large and extended amount of time contract his way before seeing what happens this year yeah the the years are no issue you're going to give him four or five years without question that that's fine he's he's only 22 23 years old so you're not going to worry about that at all he'll he'll be he'll turn 23 right around the start of the season so you're not worried about that part at all it's it's the money it's gonna that's what you know like all things in life and basketball that's what it always comes down to and for for Jalen again yeah huge change of role he started 70 games in his second season he only started 25 games last year he played 31 minutes a game that dropped down to 26 minutes per game field goal attempts were down three-point attempts were down free throw attempts per game were down everything was down because he just wasn't seeing the ball as much and wasn't playing as much so that's you know something now you're looking and huh but when you look at it on the flip side efficiency was up slightly he shot a little worse from three but a little bit better from two he was a little bit better at the rim uh he was a more under control player i think he has really started to learn how to harness that athletic ability to make plays uh and not be so out of control all the time which is really important and that's those are all signs of growth so i think if you're the celtics your thought is we project this forward. This is a guy who going into his fourth year, he's at 11 points per game and four rebounds per game. And if you're thinking, all right, well, easily we've seen him score almost 15 points per game in the past. We think that can get up around 16, 17. Those rebounds can get up. Defense continues to be solid. And we believe that that can raise as well. And if, if that's where you're at, you're, you're content committing a good chunk of money to him but it's going to be you know how much is a good chunk because for Jalen Brown you're probably starting something around the 25 million a year range which is near max but not quite max and if you're the Celtics you're probably more comfortable in that 17 to 20 range 
And at that point, you might both look at each other and say, you know what, let's let this thing play out. And Boston still has his rights as a restricted free agent, so there's no real rush. And there's another young guy who I thought had a breakout season in Marcus Smart. You mentioned him a little bit. He did uh, end up getting a bunch of starts this year, but the minutes weren't necessarily higher. Aside from that, everything else really looked nice. Uh, the steals shot through the roof. The shooting is a huge was a huge thing for him because he was he was a guy who before he got that contract I was worried about it. Obviously, been a, a great defender his whole career, but he was a career thirty six percent shooter from the floor. You know, south of thirty percent from three uh, up until last year, and then and then he jumped up to forty two percent from the floor, thirty six from three. Uh, brought up that free throw percentage as well, over 80%. Uh, what what do you think were the keys to his breakout year, and do you see that trend continuing going forward? Yeah, I think someone needs to explain to Marcus Smart how a contract year works, right? Because he, he <laughs> threw together a real crap shooting season uh, the year before. Then he signs, and then he then he has his, his breakout. And, and it's interesting because he played less minutes than he had the prior two seasons. But he had more starts, so that's a little bit, a bit of a kind of tells you a little bit about the dynamic of the team, and you get a sense of wow, boy, they did have a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of playing time that Brad Stevens had to parse out. But I think the big thing for Smart's improvement was he was under control as a shooter. You didn't have all these leaning attempts. He wasn't taking a lot of wild shots off the dribble. Now he has these these uh, games every once in a while, and he still has them where. He'll, you, you almost worry if he hits this first couple, cause then you know a couple crazy ones are coming up. And, you know, he'll start coming off a pick and firing from five feet behind the line. And it's like, let's put the Steph Curry game away and get back to, to what works. But, but what's also exciting is really good playmaker. You know, he, he was at four assists, which is the secondary tertiary. Sometimes even, I don't know what the fourth one is called, called, uh, I, I don't know how that works, but, um, <laughs> he is, uh, he, you know, four assists per game is pretty good for a guy who was, you know, your fourth option as a ball handler, sometimes even the fifth. And, you know, of course, his defense is just off the charts, you know, fantastic and re- really always has been. So I think you combine it all and it's really started to come together for him. And this is another sign that young point guards, which smart, if he is anything, he is a point guard that I think has gotten forgotten a little over the years because he hasn't he hasn't done as much of that uh, recently. He's played off the ball quite a bit, but if anything, he's a point guard, and that is really important to to note. It sometimes takes them until they're 24, 25, you know, they're in their fourth, fifth, sixth season to really understand it. And I think that's what's come around for Marcus Smart here. And, you know, the team's level of commitment to him is off the charts. It's, you know, we all like to laugh and say Danny Ainge would trade his mom if it would get him, you know, a couple draft picks and, you know, shot at a better player. But Smart's the one guy that they've been very clear. They have no interest in trading. They, they want to keep him. They, they, they don't want to move him. They have no real interest in that. And that's, you know, I think, uh, one of the things when you look at it, it's, it's really important to note that, that he has been, it's not that he's off limits, but I think it's just don't, don't let's not even have the conversation because this isn't going to go anywhere well. And then one last thing to mention, you mentioned his steals were off the chart. Yeah, he led the league in steal percentage last year at 3.1, which is just almost borderline a ridiculous number. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's cool. And the, and the fans love him too. He's, Arguably the, you know, fan favorite of anybody on this team. 
and he has become kind of the heart and soul of this team over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. Marcus is amazing to watch, just winning plays over and over. The guy that seems to kind of get forgotten in all of this is Gordon Hayward. I mean, and it's crazy to think about that if the Gordon injury never happened, would the Celtics still have Kyrie and Al? And it's just a crazy hypothetical, but Gordon's going into his second year of being healthy. It's his first offseason of actually getting to work through all this. This guy was an all-star a amazing player in Utah. What do you feel his role is going to be this year? Um, there was a lot of the chemistry issues. I remember reading that a lot of the players were unhappy with Gordon getting so much run when they felt like he wasn't on a level higher than them. But obviously Brad has that previous connection and faith in Gordon, maybe rightfully so, but it's a complicated situation. What do you feel like his role and opportunity next season with with Horford and Kyrie gone is going to be. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways he may be one of the prime playmakers on the team. The reason I say that is Kemba Walker, while he you know, is a point guard kind of name only, he's more of a scoring point guard than he is a passing point guard. And that's fine. That's a transition we've seen many guys make in the NBA recent seasons. But, I th- but what it comes back to is you need someone to set guys up. And I think that's the expectation now of Gordon Hayward, that he's going to be that guy who goes out and sets people up and he makes plays and he does all sorts of things, you know, with the ball in his hands and, and stuff like that. And that's going to be really important for the Celtics because as they, they look to build this out, they need somebody who can do those things. I think it's instructive when you look at Gordon Hayward to look at his per 36 numbers, so per 36-minute played numbers, and you start to get the sense of, geez, wow, this actually wasn't nearly as bad as it may have seemed as it was. Now, he averaged more rebounds per 36 than he has at any point in his career, and that's something that the Celtics need out of him, and they're going to have to ask him to do. Now, he shot a lot of three-pointers, four and a half per game, only got to the line 3.6 times per game, so that's something that you need to see him build back up. His assists, though, were right near his career high, 4.7 points per game in the per 36 and 15.9 points per game, which is pretty good. It's it's not his 20 point per game Utah days, but it's a number that you feel good considering all the guys who are on this roster. And and he only played, you know, overall, the reason why I say to look at that is this is a guy who only played under 26 minutes per game. And that's not that, that's not where you expect to be Gordon Hayward at. You know, shot 46.6% from the floor overall, which tells me he was getting to some some good shots and found some comfort level. The other thing I want everybody to look at if you have a chance is do his month-by-month breakdown, and you can see really post-trade deadline, this guy's season took off, and that was when he was very clearly more comfortable. Now, Paul George was the one who said it. It was a full second season back before he felt like he could just play basketball again. If that's the case, then that's where, you know, I think Hayward can feel, you know, pretty good about that, take some comfort. He can get in there and feel like, this is my second year back. I'm going to do, you know, these things and ju- just get back to playing basketball again. And I think there's a chance Gordon Hayward bounces back in a huge, huge way. And obviously that would make a massive difference for the Celtics kind of expectations and what kind of team they can be. The Kings Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. 
It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We talked about most of the core at this point from last year, but then the next two guys, uh, sort of the eighth and ninth men on the team in terms of minutes per game, they both also departed. Uh, that's Terry Rozier and Aaron Baines. And I wanted to, to get a temperature there because we, Brennan and I, we have agreed wholeheartedly that the contract for Rozier was probably the worst contract in this whole offseason. Uh, 19 million. He's going to be making 19 million a year in Charlotte. Obviously, for that money, we agree that that is something you 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 don't want to touch if you're Boston. But is the element that he brought to the team something that the, the Celtics will miss? And also, uh, we can talk about Baines a little bit on that same level. I, it's, it felt like he was kind of shed for just for a little bit of savings purposes there. But what's the hit going to be like uh, for those two guys leaving? Yeah, they're, let's talk Rozier first. They're not going to miss him. Not the way he played last season. He was really bad. And I think Charlotte signed him based on those 20 games at the end of the regular season when Kyrie was out and then the entirety of that playoff run. If he can be that guy, he's probably a middle-tier starting point guard in the NBA. But, but your $20 million for a mid-tier starting point guard, that seems to be a little bit rich for me. And I know you guys are a Kings podcast, and you know people have kind of hated on some of the deals the Kings gave out. But I was I looked at it and said we're over and over and over again. I've said this is the Kings deals all added up together. No, nothing is nearly as bad as what Charlotte did with Rozier. I would much rather pay Corey Joseph twelve million dollars a year than Rozier twenty. It just doesn't make sense to me. And that that's you know one of those things where it's just it's it's context and it's kind of let letting old um biases die or whatever it is. But you know, for for Rozier, he's just he he's he's not a point guard. We're all gonna kinda see that, I think, this year. He's um I, I just went on this thing about scoring point guards are okay and they are when they can actually shoot and score. When all they do is take a lot of shots, that's not necessarily the best thing in the world. He he still doesn't really know how to run a pick and roll. Um, you know, we're headed into year five. That's a problem. He was the Celtics were clearly a better team with almost anybody else in the game, and that includes guys like Brad Wanamaker. You know, go going deeper and playing kind of point guardless lineups where Hayward had the ball a lot, or even Jalen Brown, or even Al Horford at times was the facilitator. It's just not a not not something he is great at. So I don't I don't think the Celtics are going to miss him, you know, much at all. I think they've got you know more than enough guys in place that can replace him. And it's kind of funny they they drafted another guy who comes in with a similar ish makeup in Carson Edwards, but you can already see Edwards can do a lot of things that Rozier couldn't do, you know, just as far as understanding how to read defenses and make plays. And that's going to be you know, really important for his development going forward. As for Aaron Baines, you know, big, rugged guy, you know, one of the kind of uh, keys to the defense because he's that second-level defender when, you know, anything broke down on the perimeter, especially if it was Horford out there guarding the, you know, Giannis's or Simmons of the world, 
Baines was there at the rim and could could do a lot of things, you know, for the Celtics. Now, they, in order to get Kemba Walker, which obviously it's very clear, they knew at the NBA draft that it was likely they were losing Kyrie Irving, or they knew for certain they were losing him, and they were setting up to do something different because otherwise they would not have just, in effect, given away Aaron Baines in a first round pick. Now they got a pick back, but it's a box pick that's got some weird protections. We'll see where it ultimately lands, but. You're not just going to shed Baines for nothing. So they were trying to set up for something big, and they did that with with Kemba. That that was their big you know move this summer to to go get him. So that you know unfortunately cost them Baines, who was something they liked. He was a fan favorite. He was a guy who was well liked in the locker room. But again, it goes back to if Danny Ainge you know feels like I got to do this to me to make the the move to make us better, that's the move he's going to make. Like you kind of alluded to, I think the defense is going to take a big a big hit losing specifically Horford and Baines. I mean, Baines started a lot of minutes there last year, but the Celtics did a pretty good job in taking advantage of Philly really locked in on Matisse Thybul and trading that number 20 pick for the 24 and 33. Like we mentioned, that 24 was uh, attached to Aaron Baines to Phoenix and got that Milwaukee first with protections coming back. But the 33 went to Carson Edwards, someone you touched on a little bit as a Rosier replacement in a way. And I kind of wanted to dive into these three, four different rookies that the Celtics had starting with him. Um, some of the other guys will have more impact, but Edwards really showed out with his shooting throughout his college career and in summer league as well. But he is undersized. I mean, it's six feet. Maybe you can play smart next to him and hide him a little bit. The same sort of situation as Kemba Walker. But do you feel like Carson Edwards is going to see some NBA minutes at points this year? Yeah, I mean, let's do it. Let's overreact to summer league, right? Everybody's favorite thing to do. Let's <laughs> let's get nuts. Um, you know, and, and I'm guilty of it too at times. I, I will say with Carson Edwards. He showed signs of, well, what I, I look for at Summer League is one is a comfort level and do guys know how to play. And two of the Celtics rookies clearly stood out with that they really, or, or really three stood out that they really know how to play. And that was Edwards, Grant Williams, and then Tremont Waters. Romeo Langford didn't play. Uh, he's still recovering from, from a thumb injury that he suffered in college. But Edwards, he's got that little move. All, all little guards have to have this move where they can create a little bit of space with their shoulder and kind of get the defender off them and get into their step back or get the defender off them and just go right up straight up over uh, the guy for a score. And he's got that ability. He, he's you know stronger than he looks. He's competitive defensively. I think he gets after it, um, which is good. You know, he wasn't always a great defender in, in the summer league games, but. But it, it looks like, you know, that's not really what they, they drafted him for. They'll, they'll work on that. They'll, they'll do that. And as long as you're competitive, then you can go a long way on that. And if you're just kind of out there, then that, that's a problem. But I think he's going to be a player. I don't know how much we'll see him this year. I think they've got pretty good guard depth now at this point because you've got, you've got Walker, you've got Smart. They really like Brad Wanamaker. He's a guy that they brought back. So I think Edwards is on the back end. I think you'll see him playing with the main Red Claws quite a bit. He might be on that, uh, we, we call it the I-95 shuttle between Maine and Boston where he's, you know, going up there and coming back, going up and coming back. And we, we may see a lot of that. We may see that with quite a few of the rookies, honestly, because all of them, other than maybe Grant Williams, are, are a little further down in the depth chart than you might think for a team that added four rookies. 
Yeah, I know that area well, by the way, referring to that route from Maine <laughs> to Boston. I, I went to school out there, uh, high school, and uh, I, I gotta, I gotta just shout that out. I love the, watching those guys and the, the Sea Dogs, which were the, the minor league baseball team up there in Portland, Maine. But I got a question for you guys as, so the, the Celtics, they're, uh, obviously a big market, obviously a, a big fan favorite. I think they've got a huge support base. Like everyone loves the Celtics and they tend to get hyped up a lot. And Grant Williams, I feel like is getting that treatment right now as well. I'm not saying that he, he's not going to be a good player. I see it. He, he's played nicely. Again, it's just summer league. I get the theory behind him, but my question for you is what, what's going to separate him from guys like Shemi Ojale and Yabusele, who to me feel like similar guys taken in the second half of the first round or the early half of the second round, kind of six, 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 seven, six, eight guys. These like forwards in Boston tend to have this weird mythical power where people are like, yo, you don't even know Yabu is going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, like, you don't get it. Shemi Ojale is like this, this, uh, buried, like, is it, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be, he's going to explode this year. This is his year. What's gonna? What's different about Grant Williams than those guys? I think Williams has a better understanding of how to play. He made a lot of defensive reads at summer league that you just don't see rookies make. He he had a couple of plays where he came completely off his guy in the strong side corner, which you know guys are taught from high school now. You don't help off the strong side corner to break up lobs at the rim. And that's just something you either have that instinct or you don't. That's a, now I'm going to use this, but uh, this is not by any means am I making this kind of comp, but that's something you saw Draymond Green do day one was just that understanding of I can help off this guy because this is where the play's actually gone. Now Williams isn't green. He's not going to be Draymond Green, but the reason he's getting so hyped is one, you're absolutely right. You know, Celtics fans love to build up summer league guys. It's, it's, you know, my least favorite pastime maybe in, you know, early mid July is settle down crowd. You know, it was a uh, Abdel Nader, right? That guy's a okay. summer league call of famer and people think, you know, people thought he was going to be a starter and, you know, well, why do we, you know, even need, you know, Avery Bradley anymore and, you know, Jay Crowder just, just played Nader. Did you see him drop, you know, 20 in summer league, all that nonsense. Uh, my my thing, I was taught this a long time ago by by an NBA scout, is summer league doesn't tell you who can play, but it sure can tell you who can't play. And that's that's kind of well, what I want to come away with is like, oh boy, this guy's lost. And that's what happened with Yabusele. He played a couple of summer league games and looked absolutely terrible. He looked just as bad as he did in the NBA. And that's part of the reason why Boston caught him and, and moved on from him. Your your Williams, uh, you know, hope is. What he reminds me of is a far more athletic Jared Sollinger because he's got this these athletic abilities that Sollinger never had, but he's also tough. He's rugged inside like Sollinger was, and he can step out and do some things. And the other reason he's getting hyped up is he was a favorite of um, draft analysts. People loved this kid. He, Him and Brandon Clark were the two guys I heard over and over and over again. These guys are going to get drafted. You know, anywhere from five to ten to fifteen picks later than they should be. They should both be lottery guys. You know, mid lottery to late lottery guys, and they're going to go. And that—that's part of what's building Williams up as well. But I think I, I think he's probably the rookie who's most likely to contribute this season 
for the Celtics. I think he'll get some some opportunities because the one thing they're really lacking is a true four on the roster. He's probably the closest thing they have to that, and I think that alone will get him opportunities. Now, what he does with them, that's what will be important. I'm definitely on board with you. I mean, a lot of people before the draft, the hype was around Grant Williams and Brandon Clark just because of having that in defensive IQ. You compared it to Draymond a little bit, which obviously a little bit of a stretch. Draymond's an all-time great defender. My question with Grant, because he has the versatility on the offensive end as well, I get a lot of Horford reminence almost a little bit there. Uh, decision-making in the short pick and roll. There's interesting passing there even at times. Do you think that there's potential of him playing a small ball five, almost Draymond-esque, or is he just a little too small there being 6'7"? Yeah, I think Draymond, what we've kind of forgotten, because he only brings it now every once in a while, what a ridiculous athlete he is. The, you know, he can really get up and challenge guys at the at the rim. I think Williams is a little more groundbound than that. He's nowhere near as groundbound as Ojale is or Yabusele or, you know, God forbid, Sandra, who's, I think, vertical is, you know, measured in pieces of paper. But, you know, Williams can, can do some, th- some stuff that's a little bit different. Now, what sometimes I think makes him look a little like he's a little less athletic, which is kind of funny given the summer league setting is Robert Williams is out there, you know, jumping and hitting his head on the rim and things like that. So that makes Grant Williams look like, what's this guy doing? One thing I think that's going to help him, he's a really good, smart positional defender. And I think you're going to see him and Marcus Smart, you know, battling back and forth for the team lead and charges taken. Smart Smart will always win that one because, you know, he'll, he'll take 15 a game and get called for five fouls and, you know, uh, five, maybe pick up two or three and then five, you know, six, seven, no calls. Um, that's the way he'll, he'll throw his body around. So Williams will, will take him a little while to build up to that level. I, you don't want to go crazy with, with comps. I mean, I, I made the first one with, with the Draymond one, but I think the Celtics are going to put him again in positions to do things as far as they're going to let him handle the ball some. I think they're going to let him, you know, try to make some plays and all that. But in, in some respects, too, I think they want to keep it simple and say, hey, go out there, focus on rebounding and defense. And then the offense, that'll come with whatever it comes with. I love it. I love it. I was saying that uh, these guys get too hyped up and we get the shades of Draymond, shades of Horford. <laughs> both you guys. Uh, we'll see. I hope that he's uh, better than Yabusele at least, but. See, you know, if he's if it's not, it's a huge, huge problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. And I'll say what's you know, I don't think that Romeo Langford has that same situation going on, however, because I have not heard much hype around Langford. I know that uh I know that he slid off some people not off, but down some people's mock drafts and big boards. Uh didn't feel like there was a ton of excitement about grabbing him at 14, but, you know, obviously wings are in high demand. Uh, it's never bad to add another wing to a wing-heavy team. I mean, that's it doesn't matter how deep they're going to go. If they're going to have Hayward, Tatum, Brown, Langford, you know, you can get as many wings as you want on this team. But what is the situation on Romeo? Why is the hype not out of control on him like it is on every other Boston guy, it seems? Yeah, two reasons. I think he didn't play in the NCAA tournament because his team didn't make it. So fan, that's a lot of times NBA fans, that's the only exposure they have to a lot of these kids. And again, to go back to Williams and Clark, two good teams that made 
uh, semi-decent runs in the tournament. So I think that's, you know, they got that exposure. And then Langford didn't play in summer league because he's recovering from a thumb injury. This is a guy who, if you look at his raw numbers, he shot 27% from three, and he did it on four attempts per game. So that's that's rough. But when you go back and break it down, his shot doesn't look anything like what it looked like when he was on the high school circuit, and that's because he hurt that thumb pretty early on in the season. And that really caused him to have a lot of problems. Now, he played through it the entire year, which, give him credit, still played 32 games, still scored 16.5 points per game, grabbed five rebounds. He's actually a pretty good passer for a kid his size at about two assists per game. Can do a lot of things there. So that, that's, you know, important to know. But, but it, it's just, he was out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people. And, and when, when that's where we're at, it really becomes kind of hard to say, well, well what it, what is this, this guy? You know, it's, it, but it's, it's, you know, you, you really want to go back. This guy, you know, he put up 19 points in the McDonald's All America game. And, you know, that's pretty, pretty impressive. To do that in that game in the Jordan Classic, he had 14 points in that one. You know, so so just let's not base too much on what he did in the one year at Indiana when he was hurt and wasn't, you know, was asked to do some different things. And I think Danny Ainge has always kind of looked at those guys who were big-time prospects coming in and then something happened and caused them to become a little undervalued as they hit the draft. Those are the guys that he's tended to pounce on and have a lot of success with. And I think Langford, their their hope is now, you said it, they've got wings for days. So there's really no expectations. I think it's going to be get fully healthy, then we're going to play you, you know, when we can play you. But again, another guy, he's probably going to be spending a lot of time with the main Red Claws and then be in the G League and doing a lot of things there. And then, you know, that this is in a lot of ways going to be somewhat of a red shirtish season for him. And then, then we'll see what it looks like because they could look, you know, pretty different at the wing position a year from now. And I think one aspect of Langford that's going to be big for the Celtics is his ability to get to the line. The Celtics have really struggled at getting free throws. Kyrie Irving's one of those guys that really gets into the paint and next to the rim, but avoids contact more so than going yep. into it. And Kemba Walker also goes into contact a little bit more, kind of like the Celtics saw with Isaiah Thomas. So I think that combined with maybe Langford getting opportunity will help that a little bit there. But looking to next season, um, we mentioned some guys that we think will take a big step forward in Tatum and Hayward. Do you think that there's anybody that could potentially take a step back compared to last year or prior in their career? Yeah, I think the two guys you want to look at are two of the guards. I think Smart's an obvious uh, person you worry a little bit about is was last year a career year. You know, it's one of those things I always say, if you do it twice, you can start to believe it a little bit more. If you do it only once, then, you know, all right, well, anybody can do a lot of things one time. So that starts to become, you know, one of those things where you just kind of look at it and say, all right, I, I, I get it. I see where we're at. We, we've got to reconsider things here a little bit. Then on the flip, flip side, you, you do have to worry about Kemba Walker. Is this going to be, you know, when he starts to, to slide a little bit? He is now going to be, he's what, 29 years old at the start of the season he's right on that dreaded 30 mark for small guards and you know this guy he's only six foot six foot one that's maybe even questionable i've seen him next to some media members that i know aren't much over taller than me and i'm only about five nine so 
so <laughs> I don't know exactly how tall Kemba is, but it's it's you, you worry about that as well. But for the most part, there's nobody stands out. You know, had Horford returned, that's obviously would have been someone, but everybody else should be either kind of in their prime years or more headed up um, on the upside of their career uh, rather than anything else because that's just they're either young or they're coming back in the case of Gordon Hayward and you believe that all those guys can and will get better. So we also want to identify some strengths and weaknesses of this team overall heading into next year before we get some predictions on uh, win-loss record. Uh, we talked a little bit about you know the depth at the wing being a strength and that it seems like the, the defense uh, from the center position might drop off. But what are some other strengths and weaknesses you would identify with this team? I think they're going to be a pretty good scoring team. That seems to have been a problem for well, more of a problem than it actually was. They finished 10th in offensive rating, which is not bad by any means. It's just it was always kind of clunky the way they got there. They'd have these you know great games followed by these crap games, and then that kind of averages out to 10th. And this year, I think, with better balance, with some growth from some of the younger players, I think you can see a team that will continue that 10th, but it might be a much more steady, consistent kind of offensive performance to get there. On the weaknesses side, uh, defense, I'm worried about it. I don't know. You know, that that's always tough to say with a Marcus Smart team because, you know, he's going to be out there killing it. But he's one guy, and he's, you know, as much as, you know, we, if you watch the Celtics, we all love to believe Marcus can defend any position he's not a rim protector you know now he'll fly out out of you know the weak side corner and block a shot at the rim on just about anybody once in a while but it's not it's not any kind of regular thing that you can count on so i think at this point you're you got a question how are they going to be defensively going to be up to the task because because that's a worry and then can they figure it out in crunch time is it Kemba who takes them home, or is it whoever has the hot hand? Do you rely on the kids? Because, again, two years ago, that kind of became Jason Tatum's role. That was his, his deal was, you know, all right, we're going to give it to you. We all remember that game seven, that that dunk on LeBron and then that three. And then, you know, unfortunately, it kind of all went south from there for the Celtics. But, but those were huge plays, and that's the, the question is, all right, is it going to be Tatum? Is it going to be Walker? Is it going to be a little your turn, my turn? How, how's that going to work out? So those are the things that Steven's going to, going to sort through and figure it out as we go. Yeah, I love how you said a a Marcus Smart team. I, I'm all here for that. This can be Marcus's team. The The Vegas over-under is at 48.5. If you were a betting man, where would you put this? Are you feeling like you're going higher than that or lower? Yeah, it, it's Vegas is good for a reason because they put these numbers at a spot. A lot of them where you're like, boy, geez, I don't know. Yeah. Now, I think your instinct gut is no under, right? But then you look at it and say, well, this team won 49 games last year and what was a complete circus of a season where nobody liked each other. So just get a little happier. That's, you know, going to count for something that should offset any talent loss. So I think it's right around that. I, I would, I, I would lean slightly under. I think maybe 46 wins makes, makes a lot of sense to me. That's the number that keeps kind of sticking in my head, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, much like the teams, the, Prior few years, those Isaiah Thomas teams, we look at them and it's like, how'd this team win 50 games? And then you're kind of looking at it and you start to, you know, add it all together and you're like, it still doesn't add up. And they're, you know, very much a, your know, whole is, is, uh, greater than the sum of the parts. And I think 
think that's what they want to be. I think that's where they want to get back to. And that that's going to be something that they're going to push forward or push for going forward into this season because they, they're not – no, no one is happy with the way last year went by any means. And I think all these guys are motivated to prove that we're, we're better than this and we're, we're a happier group and all those kind of things. And all the early reports now, we're recording this in late July are good. So we'll, we'll see when it really matters when, you know, when we get into the teeth of the season. And then looking forward a little bit here, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but if you were to project where this team ends up, two to three to four years from now. Uh, what's the forecast looking like down the road? Does this feel like a, a team that's got a real chance to win a title over those next few years? Yeah, the next few years we'll see. A lot of that depends on the growth of the young kids, much like, you know, what, 10 other teams in the league are in the same boat. But I think if Tatum and Brown can get back to being the guys we all thought they were a couple years ago, Obviously, that raises if Hayward can get back at all. You're going to feel pretty good about that. I think Kemba's got the kind of game that should get, should age gracefully. It's he should be you know in a much better position uh, going forward. Where I think you can um, you know feel pretty good about the things that he will do. So I I think that there is a real chance that they'll be competitive. They still have a, a bunch of good picks that they can trade and if things get to be too much they can start to look to move some of these younger players in those because you know this summer should have taught us more than anything but it really we learned this lesson seems like every year someone will, will become available that we don't expect to be available some team that's been good or on the margins for you know a number of years all of a sudden that guy will say you know what i'm done i i've given you you know four five six years and we're not going anywhere i'm ready to go and i'm ready to play for somebody else and and the celtics are still well positioned to go get that player if and when he becomes available and i think the last thing that we wanted to get from you keith uh straying a little bit from boston here is we asked the people that we're talking to throughout these offseason breakdowns and next season previews that we're doing from the outsider perspective that you have a little bit here, what's your impression on what's going on in Sacramento? The direction that it's heading in, the young core that's going on, and everything Kings related. They became my, so I'm an East Coast guy, I live in Orlando, and they became my like favorite team to watch in that 10, 1030 window last season. I just, I, I just loved the spirit and the energy that they played with. They, they, they played hard. They, they were entertaining. They were funny. Even, even when things were kind of out of control and it, like Fox is going a million miles per hour and whipping a ball off Bagley's hands and it ends up eight rows deep. It's still fun <laughs> at that late hour. You're, you're like, Oh man, wake me up. I'm, I'm ready to go. Anything's better than watching, you know, the grinded out Clippers or, or Lakers at that point. And yeah, I, quite frankly, I, I had grown a little tired of the Warriors. At time, and I knew I would see them in the playoffs. So, you know, I think it's really exciting the the things that they have done. I, I know a lot of people have beat up on them and hated on the off season. And I think did they overpay for a couple of the guys? Yeah, probably a little bit, but not by an amount that I think is ridiculous. There's no Zach Randolph contract in there this time that you know really seems like, whoa, where did that come from? Uh, I think Dwayne Dedman's going to fit in fantastic there. I think, you know, my, my guess is, I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm thinking he may even start next to Bagley. I think they've got a 
bunch of different lineup options they can go to. They can play big. They can play small. They can do a lot of different things. Please, for the love of God, stop talking about Bagley as a small forward, Vlade. <laughs> it's like he's got to mention it, what, every couple months just to because and, like, just stop. Like, that's not – no one wants that, right? <laughs> um, you know, but I, I, I don't hate the Barnes contract. I think Harrison Barnes is a guy who can still score, and, and I, I am very much of the belief that that still has a huge value at the end of the day that is the goal of the game is to put points on the board and then obviously how can you not love you know darren fox and buddy healed and i i look at it as as i look at everything it just a lot of it makes sense which as an outsider and i I hate to, to beat up on the kings but for the first time it's like this roster makes a lot of sense. Like, how, how did this happen? Because this hasn't happened, you know, in a number of years. And then they've got good depth, you know, even behind their first, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten guys. There's still, you know, then a couple more guys behind them. So I'm, I'm very, very high uh, on them. I just think the challenge is the West is so good. It's going to be so hard to, to break in, but. All right, so if you get pushed down into the lottery one more year, I know no one probably really wants to hear that, but, you know, is that the worst thing in the world? You're going to collect another good pick. You've got your own pick back this year, so now one more guy to add to to that group, and, you know, maybe. But I think they're right on that verge of being that team that, that could break through out in any number of teams. As I look at the West, I really kind of only count out Phoenix and Memphis. I think will be bad, and I think anybody else you could – convincingly tell me that they're a playoff team and I'm like, yeah, I can see it. You can see where they get there. And for the Kings to be in that mix, that's gotta be feel pretty good for you guys. Oh yeah. We uh everyone over here, I think I can speak for all Kings fans when I say that we're extremely excited about this upcoming season and, and the, the future of this team. And we also uh do not take any hard feelings away from the statements about the Kings in the recent past because Everyone knows that, uh, especially us here in Sacramento, know that it's been a nightmare uh, this last decade or so. But, yeah, really refreshing to hear all that stuff because it does feel like this team is exciting and it has potential, very, very serious potential. Could easily sneak into the playoffs this year, and if it's another year, you know, it's not the end of the world. But uh, we thank you so much, Keith, for joining us Uh I would want to just plug your Twitter handle. He's a great follow on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. And can you also just tell us where, where we can read your work? Yeah, you can find my stuff at Yahoo Sports. I did, did a lot of lead up to free agency. So I've kind of been taking a little bit of a breather there. Uh, there, we, we relaunched. So if you go to each team's page at Yahoo Sports, we relaunched the salary section there. That, that's all my data that's gone into that, which is pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about that, uh, work being, being up there on the Yahoo, um, NBA pages. And then you can find, uh, other written work at Real GM. I've got a bunch of summer league notes columns um if you've ever been a summer league it's very much not about watching bad basketball it's about it's i refer to it as comic-con for the nba i think that's the best way you can explain it and i spend a lot of time running around the gym talking to anybody who will talk from teams to players to coaches to you know executives to whoever it is um other media members and you know i have a lot of fun so i'm getting ready to uh empty out the notebook fully we'll do an eastern conference uh, notes piece and a Western Conference notes piece. So those will be up, uh, maybe this week, uh, might, might be next. We'll, we lay that to the bosses to spread out. And then if you want Celtics specific coverage, Celticsblog.com. Then if you are looking for yet another po- NBA podcast to listen to, 
Uh, my my co-host Trevor Lane and I host the NBA Front Office Show, and we we as the title might suggest, we spend a lot of time talking about rosters and transactions and all that. And we're just kind of starting our off-season review series. Our first two teams were Philadelphia and Golden State. We do them completely randomly. We let the computer pick them for us. And our next ones, believe it or not, completely randomly, and I promise I'm not even making this up, are Toronto and the LA Clippers. <laughs> so just, you know, the, the Kawhi uh, teams there. So, yeah, so if you're looking for another another one there, we, we get into that and we talk everybody. We go all the way down to the camp guys and the two-way guys and all that. I can say, I mean, you do great work, Keith, Celtics blog. I've listened to your show, the front office show that you got going on. Anybody that's happened to be listening, uh, you're a big CBA guy. You're, you're great with the cap and all that stuff going on. So definitely give him a follow. And just as a thank you to everybody that listens, we've reached a milestone of 24,000 total downloads. And it's just amazing to get to this point. We've been doing this for a little over two months now and to see the traction that it's built and the people that are listening and the interactions that we're able to have and just knowing that we're having an impact on people's day, anything like that and adding a level of content to this great Kings teams right now. It's fun to cover the team, but we wanted to do something as a thank you to everybody that's been supporting this podcast. Absolutely. I know that I'm really excited to, to see the podcast start to take off and see that people really enjoy it and care about it and want to interact with us. That's the most important thing for me. And I think for you as well is being a part of the greater Sacramento Kings community. So, you know, it's fun to talk into a microphone and all that. But the, the main thing is that we want to connect with the fans of uh, of the Sacramento Kings and the 24,000 mark is a weird milestone but it's one that we chose because of the significance obviously of number 24 with uh, our own Buddy Hield. And the way that we are doing this is we are going to have a Buddy Hield jersey giveaway like you alluded to a little bit here and you'll be able to choose whatever type of jersey you would like. The Kings got some amazing jerseys and courts to match, Sacktown, the black the the white the purple whatever you'd like whatever your size is we will get it for you get it sent your way and the details on how to win this maybe you want to go into that a little bit rich so i will say i think right now i did check the nba store i only see the black and the purple in stock that may change we might be able to do a a slightly customized one i'm not sure what's available to be customized and not on the store but Basically, the point is, if it's one of those jerseys that you can you can get from the NBA store, that's what you know. You can choose the size, the design of what's available uh, for the Buddy Heel jerseys. But yeah, the details basically are are fairly simple. Uh, we sent out a tweet yesterday, and the tweet said that a week from that day, we we're going to put out three questions on Twitter. So for anyone listening at home that isn't on Twitter. It's really easy. It's really free. Go grab yourself an account on Twitter. Follow at Kings underscore Pulse and just keep an eye out for these questions. Um, you can even, if you want to, set it as a notification so that when these questions are released, you will get a notification on your phone. You can try to answer the questions as quickly as possible. Uh, first one to do it will win. It's pretty much that simple, right? 
Yeah, that's pretty much. And the way that you're going to know the answers, uh, like you kind of said a bit, is we are going to be mentioning a couple different things throughout these episodes. Um, the ones we're doing right now of these next season previews for different things to kind of get us through this downtime, I'm really excited to be doing. It's great to get insight into all of these different teams. But that's where you're going to kind of hear what will be talked about in these questions that could lead to you winning a Buddy Heal jersey. And I could just not say thank you enough to everybody that listens. Like you touched on, Rich, um, the interaction and just being part of the Kings community is great. And honestly, I want to say a thank you to you also. I mean, I'm a little bit more of the rookie in this Kings community and getting you on board was a big step in doing this as well. Well, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be doing this without you, dude. It's it was your idea. You you asked me if I would join you, and it's been one of the more rewarding decisions uh, of my uh, basketball life, to be sure. So, uh, really excited about this. And and to be clear, the the questions will will be asked on Twitter, but we are going to give you hints over the next three episodes to the answers of these questions. So we're going to give one of those hints now. I got that. Uh, ready to go and then another hint in the next episode and one more in the following episode if you get all the hints that will give you an advantage when the tweet is sent and the first hint is going to be uh, one of the answers to this question will be the player that we once named the Kraken. (laughs) There is a member of the Sacramento Kings uh, who was given the name the Kraken by Brennan and myself and uh, he will be one of the answers so if you if you know this podcast, uh, you'll know who we're referring to. Uh, other than that, you can still probably get it just from the question, but this is going to be a slight advantage. Yeah, I will say this was an episode from a while ago. Um, I'm trying to find which episode it is right now to maybe give people a general idea, but it, it was a little bit more of a goofy episode. It was from towards the first half of May, actually, um, if you happen to listen to that back or anything like that. But that'll be the first one. Like Rich said, stay tuned for the next couple here. And do you feel like we're missing out on any details here, Rich? We're good, man. Uh, we are good. And, and uh, yeah, we are we are really happy. And uh, one thing I'll just add in is that this is something that we want to do, uh, you know, going into the future as well. We've done a giveaway before. We want to just... When we make money from this podcast, we want to recycle it, uh, at least a portion of it, back to the listeners because, you know, we wouldn't be able to do this without you. So I know we're also looking into other things as well, um, perhaps some Sacramento-based charities. If you have a suggestion for some way that we could get involved with the community or if you know anyone that would like to advertise with us to help us build up some revenue that will eventually go back into the community and into giveaways and towards charities this is just all stuff we're still new and we're all this is just stuff we're working towards that's gonna do it for this episode so thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the king's pulse podcast you will hear from us again in a couple days here